Welcome to Bob Got a Microphone, the podcast that exists because I, Bob Tarantino, bought a microphone. There are a lot of interesting people out there, and these are some of their stories. So look, if you're like me, you probably don't love working as much as you do. The less, the better, as far as I'm concerned. So I was intrigued when my friend Quinn Ross, a lawyer who runs the Ross firm, announced that his firm had moved to a four-day work week. For those of you who don't know Quinn, he's probably one of the most insightful and driven people you'll ever meet. When he sets out a goal, he invariably accomplishes it. And so I was intrigued to find out more about how it is that he managed to envision this and actually implement it. As you'll hear, if you listen through to the end of our conversation, it all kind of started with a tornado. All right, Quinn Ross, welcome. How are you? Well, Bob Tarantino, how are you? I'm doing good. You run the Ross firm. And you implemented a four-day work week. So what's the catch? I suppose the, the catch is that you have to uh, approach everything completely differently. Other than that, there is no catch at all. Really? Um, yeah, it, it requires a fundamental shift in philosophy or it doesn't work because the magic of the four-day work week is taking care of people. I'm a lawyer, so my default position is cynicism. Right. right. So when I see the four day work week, I'm like, oh, okay. So what must really be happening here is you're just sort of taking five days of work and cramming it into four. So it's not that I'm working, I'm just doing more work on the four days, right? Because my, and especially for lawyers, and I'd love to sort of get some insight into this. I mean, I feel like a lot of lawyers hear about a four day work week and they're like, hey, I'd kill for a five day work week. Like, how do we get down to four? <laughs> so how did the, how did you guys actually sort of implement this and what does it look like on the ground? I mean, in the end, you're right, because it's about time and delivery of product, as with all things. I, I mean, I, I'll break it down into licensees, so lawyers and paralegals, and then the allied professionals that we work with and rely on. And then I'll, I'll try to sort of discuss it across those two perspectives. So yeah, lawyers are, lawyers are sort of an on-demand service, it, at the very least with respect to competencies and the delivery of things that are going to get our clients in trouble if we don't hit a certain deadline. At a bare minimum, the rest of it is client expectation. So if we, if we say, yeah, we understand that if there's a filing deadline, it doesn't matter what day of the week it is, that is accepted as a baseline reality of no matter how many days a week you want to work, whether it's one, three, five, or seven. And, and we are cramming more into less time, but we're doing it by being more efficient, not by spending more hours. And we're able to be more efficient because we're healthier, happier human beings in what we do. And we're able to be healthier and happier human beings by returning to that, that idea that you have to turn the entire approach to work on its head. You have to change entirely from an environment or ecosystem of scarcity to one of abundance. And, and I'll, I'll dig into that because that's crazy new age, touchy feely kumbaya nonsense. It doesn't make any sense when really you're talking about point ones. With the allied professionals, it's really easy. You just say you now work 32 hours a week and you get paid for 40 and you get 10, ostensibly 10 additional paid weeks off a year in addition to whatever vacation accrual you've got. Because you're, you know, there's 52 weeks, you're getting a day off every week, enjoy people like that. So it's very straightforward for them. Now they're professionals as well. So if shit needs to get done, if there's a deadline and it's a matter of competency, then, then they're going to work that period for, for the licensees. It is a little different because of those, those requirements of the license. 
again, putting client expectations off to one side because we can manage that even in a, in a really solid four-day week. But just if you've got a court date on the fifth day, you're going to court. But if you don't have a court day on the fifth day, then the licensees are, are treating that day very differently. It, it's an unstructured day. It's a day where they don't work at all. Or it's a day where they work on those things that they're interested in. Or it's a day where they've been trying to get something done for the last quarter and they haven't been able to. And now they can because they've got a chunk of eight hours that's undisturbed and they aren't plugged in and no one's expecting anything from them. So they're able to take that time and do it. But in all of those situations, aside from just sitting on the dock and enjoying a margarita, they're doing things that are filling their well comparatively to the grind and being a slave to the calendar, which is the, the normal experience for everyone five days a week. We're saying, yeah, we're only going to do that four days a week. And then one day a week, we're going to do something different. And it's not pure and it's not rigid uh, and it's not perfectly attainable by virtue of what we do and the requirements of our job. But it is so fundamentally different that it has a profound impact on people's well-being. And that impact translates into them being far more efficient with their time during the four days. And so they, they hit and exceed their targets. They, they get the product done more quickly. They get it done better. Nice. You've mentioned efficiency a couple of times there. And so as somebody who has been sort of at the forefront of technological change in the, in, you know, the practice of law for a while, to what extent do you think sort of a four day work week depends on better use of better technology? Yeah. Great question. Technology and process are, are, are things we take for granted. And you know what, Bob, until you've mentioned it, I never truly have not thought about it as an advantage and it's really an important part of the narrative so we, we are paperless in all our departments uh, truly not just like saying it it's legit uh, our litigation is paperless and our solicitor side is paperless the only time we produce paper is when a negotiable instrument must be signed in ink because some people still haven't figured out how to make that not right <laughs> um, banks with banks with their checklists right exactly uh and and wills obviously but um so that 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 is that is truly an advantage and then process and process iterations so having spent the time going through all of our repetitive processes and breaking them down to their most granular and understanding how they're resourced and how to how to make them more lean was something that was already done and i think that that would be you know that's a that's obviously makes doing a four-day work week so much easier because you do already have we did already have the tools of efficiency in place uh, and then we were able to build on those with a philosophical shift which is unlocking people and so that philosophical shift i mean let's you mentioned this already but so for your allied professionals and just for listeners who aren't sort of familiar with the terminology here when you're talking about licensees you're talking about what Lawyers and lawyers, right? What normal people would call lawyers, but us law society, you know, members, we refer. To I, I, I use licensees just to be inclusive because we have yeah. paralegals at the firm too, and if I say lawyers, then I'm excluding them. So Fair. yeah, it's intentional. Yeah. yeah, understood. So for your allied professionals, you mentioned, look, you previously had a forty-hour work week. Now you have a thirty-two-hour work week, but you're still getting paid for that forty-hour that you would previously would have worked. Yeah. Philosophically and financially whoever's paying that must have had to make a very big adjustment, right? Because I mean, just by virtue of the number of hours that are being worked, you're paying for more hours than you used to. How did you sort of get comfortable with that? Or am I mischaracterizing kind of what's happening there? 
mean, that's the risk. That is the that is the cliff you stand on when you make the decision to try it. Uh, that is exactly the cliff. You've eliminated 20% of the time available to those individuals, and you're paying them 100%. So, how do you make? Where's the? How do you? How do you bridge the delta? Right. And it was again. There, the it's such a. I mean, it's newish. It's 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 incredibly new in terms of the overall span of work from when we first started doing a five-day work week to today. It's like a blink in time. It's not all that new in that it's sort of people have been futzing around with it probably for the last five years in earnest. So there isn't a lot of great data on it. And the data that's out there is highly qualitative. But what the data says is that extra day pays for itself through this efficiency that we're talking about and that they are more than 20% more efficient with their time during the remaining four days so that you pick up. They're wasting 20% of the time. Right. In a five day week. In a five day week. 20% of the time is being wasted is the hypothesis. And what that's the cliff you stand on. Do you agree? Are you willing to, you know, test that hypothesis with your bottom line during COVID? Well, and let's talk about that adoption and that sort of framing of during COVID because you implemented the Ross firm implemented this four day week, I think in April of 2020. So I mean, to what extent had this been something that had been planned before and you were just ramping up and COVID just happened to be sort of a, an intervening event? Or to what extent was this was COVID kind of the catalyzing event? COVID was 100% the catalyzing event. Okay. Uh, I had been floating the idea and sending articles to my partners for probably a year, most of which they thought was like I was kidding, like I was being ironic. <laughs> um, and and you know what? I may have been a little bit ironic. I, I, like I was like, this is, I'm interested in this. This is my beat, but it's also a joke. So like, you know, I'm safe. I'm not going to really commit to anything at this point. And, and then I, you know, I, I, but I thought there was something to it. I thought it, for whatever reason, it, it spoke to me in a very fundamental way when I saw that, that that just made sense and not just because I'm lazy. I mean, that was a part of it, but it was really, there was something else that said, we've got, there's got to be a different way. No one's taken a look at this in a very long time. Change is good. I love change. I'm a bit of a change addict. This seemed like a pretty neat change. So when COVID came along, I, Again, this is all like it's all very easy to look at it retrospectively. At the time, it was quite organic what was happening. But retrospectively, I will give myself the credit of sensing a destabilized environment and knowing that destabilized environments are far easier to initiate large scale change in. Sure. Because everyone's already so like, whoa, <laughs> they don't even notice when you throw one more giant thing at them. They're just like, okay, well, at least my kids can go to school again and don't have to learn on computers. Right. So we, we, that's really why we did it when we did it. I, I, I came back to the table with it and said, look, at, I think now's the time for two reasons. Because the, because the environment, the ecosystem is destabilized by COVID so profoundly that it will be easier to initiate this change. Uh, because there will be no status quo. There is no status quo anymore. So we won't have a lot of people clamoring for the status quo, which is the default setting, uh, especially in an an ecosystem like ours, which was so static for so long in terms of that basic structure, as most are. And the other was people are suffering profoundly. So let's see if we can assist them uh, in that. And, And that played into this philosophy piece that I keep yammering about, mm-hmm. uh, the philosophy of abundance. And we'd, we'd done a couple of other approaches on that philosophy of abundance in the past. And this just aligned with it so closely. Like we'd, we'd changed how we approach, as it was then termed discipline, when there was issues with respect to performance. Uh, and we changed 
how we, uh, we've been working on changing how we approach remuneration to make it transparent to A, eliminate within our firm the pay equity gap, and two, just because it was, and B, it was just because it was a better, more reliable way for people to see how they were going to get paid, what it was comparable to other slots within the firm, and how they could progress and what they could expect to receive as far as remuneration. It was just a healthy thing. And then and then we also initiated a defined benefit pension plan. So we'd really been focusing on doing as much as we humanly could for the people we work with and rely on and had seen such incredible dividends already. Like it was immediate. And, and, and it then aligned with this great trust between management and staff and, and a shared vulnerability in that experience that was far more messy and dynamic and complex, but way healthier and way more effective, way more effective even though it was, it's way more work, even with that, it's way more effective. And so this was, this was the next big thing. And, and it just made sense philosophically and the timing was right. So we made the plan and it was like, I mean, as I said, we, we're good at process and process iteration. We're, we're, we're about projects. So we treated it like a project and we acquired baseline data as to people's well-being. not surprising what we heard back at that time in the world and, and what could alleviate some of their stressors and what could improve their experience. And then we made a plan for how this week was going to work. And we, again, we posited that it's not a five day week done in four. That's, that's not going to work. You got to completely turn the whole thing on its head and treat it as something very different. Uh, and so we did, and we came up with processes to keep the office open all the time and to keep the teams working and to keep the client service five days a week, even though each individual is only going to be available for four of them. And then we, we made a plan that we were going to roll that out. And the old expression, we planned God laughs was going to kick in, you know, every good plan survives the first <laughs> shot and then it's all, you know, and then we were going to have to iterate, reiterate, what we'd already built and and clean it up and bug hunt and, and pivot it. So we had a period of time scheduled for that. And then we hoped that it would just roll. And when we first started, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm an explorer, but I, I was a little timid about losing 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. So when we first started, we started with a compressed five-day week. We took the n- number of hours in five days and p- compressed them into four. Right. And we, we said, we're going to do this. I think it was the plan was for nine weeks and test it after three. So the, initially we saw this great little uptick in data on people's overall well-being. Productivity was up. Everybody was happy. They were really excited. And then immediately we started seeing burnout because we've compressed three days. Right. And so the, the, the intended benefit was, was very quickly lost. Hmm. And so we, we, were, we were faced with the question, do we carry on with this as best we can to the bitter end? Or do we do we expedite? Because the plan was always to move it into a non-compressed week, always to go to the 32 hours. So do we move to that sooner? Um, we have no real data about revenue. We're you know we're in the middle of a fucking pandemic. Right. Everybody's bleeding money all over the place. We don't even know if we're gonna have to lay people off. And we're now talking about moving to a non-compressed four-day work week. And we said, well, of course we do that. So we did, and then we st- we saw the spike happen again with respect to overall productivity overall well-being attrition ended attraction no longer a problem Hmm. Uh, um and overall morale has just obviously stayed relatively strong and between then and now we went from 23 to 70. yeah and i want to pick up on that because that seems to me to be another element of this story and, and your story in particular so just to underline one thing here so there's i guess there's kind of two potential models people could be thinking about here. One is a compressed five-day week, which is 
take your 40 hours instead of spreading them out over five days, you spread them out over four days. So you're, you know, you're working 10 hours uh, or eight hours a day or whatever the, the number is versus a true four day work week. You've adopted the latter. You, yeah. you started with the former in that nine week kind of trial period. You've shifted to the latter. What is that? I mean, you've been talking about this sort of as a manager, as, as kind of a, a leader. What does that look like for you? Like, what, how do you, do you, is Friday, do you sort of peg Fridays as your day? That's why you're able to do this podcast. See, this is all working out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I would have done it whatever day of the week it is, but that's why I'm doing this podcast in comfortable clothes in my living room and right. with my dog at my feet and, and in a relaxed state of mind. Uh, and, and I put it on a day where I got to do things that I'm excited about. <laughs> that's very generous of you so so but for you like just so we understand kind of what this looks like for you as a practitioner i mean you sort of you block off fridays as your days presumably unless there's you know a closing that has to happen on a friday and how are you occupying your fridays other than podcasts <laughs> uh it's actually just podcasts that's all, okay. all day. Friday. it's the future that's yeah, good good for right. you that's it i'm just i am a podcast i'm becoming a podcast pundit that's that's my new job <laughs> No, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's unstructured work that I get to choose to do with big chunks of not doing anything mixed in. So I work on only things, obviously, unless I must do something because it is a matter of competency. Yeah. I am working on things that I want to work on with big chunks of time in between where I go and I make a tea and I sit out back with my dog or I uh, write something that I feel like writing or I call a friend who I haven't spoken to. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. that mixed in with today. I'd reviewed some some stuff for a municipality that we work for that I wanted to review that I was interested in and I wanted some uninterrupted time to do it so I could be creative and spent some time at my parents house doing a call with respect to some management stuff we needed to deal with at the office so I got yeah. to be with them and do, so that's it I it's just a a more restorative human happy creative day right I, I love that word restorative that's a great way of describing it that's fascinating. So, but let's talk then about the other strand of this story, because I have to confess. So, you know, we're friends. I, I follow you on social media. I see what you're up to. I had seen you, you know, described a four day work week on a number of occasions. Cool. I was up to speed on that. And then I think it was, maybe it was your end of year 2021 post on LinkedIn, where you were sort of wrapping up kind of what 2021 was like for you. And that was where you had mentioned that your head count at the Ross firm had increased to something like 70 lawyers. Not lawyers. No, no, no. Oh, no so, sorry. No. Sorry. 70 sorry, humans. 70 humans. Okay. Yeah. So that's still an astonishingly large number. I mean, yeah. like, so how did that happen? And was like, was that deliberate or what is that? How did you get to a head count of 70 mm -hmm. in the, in a pandemic, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the number 70 was not intentional, but growth was. Yeah. Uh, we, we, uh, again, going back to your point that I, that I hadn't thought about as much as I should have given that I'm relying on it in pretty much everything that I do. We had built a platform to, that's scalable and remote when March 12th hit and everybody had to go home. It was, it was, excuse a terrible expression. It was another day at the office, but not like it was just no, we flipped a switch. Everyone was ready. Um, there was no scramble. We'd already been hybrid. People had already been in a hybrid work environment. So that was already 
what 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 happened was we created a significant differentiator in the four day work week, the defined benefit pension plan, and the fact that we were willing to work remotely permanently, as well as with people outside of our jurisdiction, we stopped trying to find talent just around here, which is very, very difficult. We live in a rural environment with not a lot of professional staff available with training in the areas that we need them trained in. So uh, we cast our net wider. And we had an unbelievable amount of work to do by virtue of the fact that we just were able to carry on and we were able to support others who weren't. So, you know, we were hearing the nightmare stories about people sending their clerks into the office to pull the files that they need to work on over the next two days. And then they do that work and the clerk would come and pick it up and drop it back off at the office and trying to connect to systems and all of that. And that was just nothing that we were experiencing. We were experiencing this wide open, amazing sort of deluge and ability to meet the need. Uh, and then there were some some opportunities to have people join us during that time because we were starting to, people were seeing what we were doing, uh, not in terms of just remote work, but the whole four-day work week gets a lot of attention in a law firm. And so a couple of other practices, three other practices connected with us and we took them on. And then we needed to serve their clients and their work, as well as the organic work that was coming in. And so we just continued to cast our net for people who are interested in joining us on the exploration. And that was what it was about. Like the work was awesome and the work was coming in. But every single time we went out to market again to try to find people to join us, it was always about the adventure. Always, always, always about the adventure. Do you want to be a part of this adventure. We assume competency. We assume that you're going to do the kind of law that you say you're going to do, but we're hiring people who want to join us on this exploration. The tribe, right? They, yeah. they talk about talking to your tribe. We put it out there and the tribe came back. Amazing. So just as a parenthetical, I think one thing which is also worth kind of underscoring here is the reason or one of the reasons presumably why you were able to make that adjustment to remote working so quickly was because your firm had experienced a kind of catastrophic, you know, event a few years ago. And you, you were really sort of responsive to that in a way, which I think not a lot of firms would have been able to respond to it. And so that presumably kind of not forced you, but gave you the opportunity to put in place those processes, do all of that iterative work and put in place the, the, technology so that you transformed into a platform is that am i is that a fair characterization that's beyond fair and it's unbelievably insightful and again a connection i'd not made until now shows you how out of touch i am with my own origin story but that's a hundred percent right it we, is busy <laughs> we, we we got nailed by a, a, a tornado and kicked out of our space and right. and there was a period of time where the whole community was shut down and we still had work that had to be done again even at that point it was at the base competency level and we were sneaking in and getting files like it was that's where we were. And yeah, 100% that informed. I, I, I'd always thought it was crazy. I've always thought a bunch of things about what we do is crazy. And there's got to be a better way. That's sort of how I'm built. I'm like, as if we do this, this is crazy. Right. There's got to be a better way. And often there is. And then we hammer away at it and try to put some kind of Frankenstein better way together. And then eventually a real better way exists. But yeah, that's that's right. That tornado, man, we were not going to be in that situation again. And it, it, again, it, it's it amplified the fact that the way we were doing it was ridiculous. It was so ridiculous, considering there was other options available. Right. You just had to make it happen, which is not easy. I mean, 
that's the hard part. Is yeah. <laughs> Let's not undersell that, right? Like how, how amazing the story is in terms of what you've accomplished, you know, over the last five, I don't know when the tornado was, but let's call it. 2011. It was that long ago? I didn't yeah. realize that. Okay. The last 10 years. So the Ross firm now, headcount of 70, you started in, what's the right geographic descriptor here? Like I want to say, like- Godrich, like Godrich. Lake Huron. Godrich, it's yeah. a small like, town on the shore of Lake Huron. And so even before the pan, even before the rise to a 70 head count, you had a, you had a number of offices in, in uh, different towns around in that area. Yeah. Does the concept of like a regional firm because now that we're talking about sort of, you know, displacement and remote working, does the concept of regional firm even really make sense anymore? Like, could you see a future where the Ross firm has people, or maybe this is your present, are, are people still geographically concentrated in that sort of zone of Ontario, that Western end of Ontario? Or could you see a future where you've got people who are in Ottawa, who are in Windsor, who are in Toronto, who are up north? Like, how does that, what does that look like for you? I mean, again, you, you're you're reading the tea leaves. So uh, one of our family lawyers is in Kingston. One of our commercial lawyers is in Toronto. One of our real estate clerks is in Sudbury, and another one is on the border of Manitoba in northern Ontario. We we definitely have taken that on. That's been part of our ability to do what we're doing. The communities in which we work still require a bricks and mortar presence as an indication of your commitment. It is a more traditional acknowledgement of business in that area. If we were to be purely remote, we would be able to deliver the same service, if not better, but it would not check that box. So that is the reason why we've got what we consider to be different floors of the firm in different areas. So that's amazing though, because I, I mean, it, it's to me, that's a real indication that the concept of the regional firm is kind of an anachronism at this point. You could have, you know, historically, I think in Ontario, at least firms have been geographically concentrated so in other words you'll have you know a bay street firm for a, a long period of time literally was on bay street and then some of them have had sort of satellite offices you know whether it's in kitchener waterloo or in london or, or ottawa but the the sort of center of gravity was in in toronto on bay street you know the financial district and then you've had regional firms which are around the province with, you know, again, a center of gravity, which might be in Windsor, or might be might be in Ottawa, wherever. But now it sounds like there really is the potential and something that you guys are realizing. And I mean, realizing by man, by realizing, I mean, manifesting, there's a potential to be a true kind of pan Ontario firm here, because you're a platform, really. So that, I mean, to me, that's just we're a decentralized platform, right? A decentralized platform. I like that sort of like blockchain. Like decentralized financing, or, or the Borg. <laughs> Depends whether you're on the inside or the outside. I get it. That's amazing. I'm I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this all grows and and continues to to evolve. So Quinn, thanks so much for taking the time today to to walk me through all of that. That's been great. Not at all. It's been a blast. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, liking it sharing it with your friends, or inflicting it on your enemies. If you're still listening, you're probably the only one who's doing so. The secret number is 42. To claim your no prize, send an email with the secret number in the subject line to bob at bobgotamicrophone.com. Zero, zero, nine.